0: Hello friends, welcome to the Thinking Pilates podcast where we're having rich conversations about the Pilates mindset and a whole lot of other human-y things we're interested in. I'm James Crater, a constantly curious mind and consummate student of toddler and animal movement. Joining me is my good friend slash co-host Chantel Lopez, who you'll be hearing from soon. If you're a Pilates lover or someone who only knows it as that ab work class at the gym, we hope you'll stick around and explore some conversation with us as we hopefully help to expand the definition of Pilates. A bit of a warning. As much as we like playground movement, we love adult vocabulary. We hope you won't mind, and that you enjoy all the other words in between. Too much to care.
1: It is uh, Chantel. I'm back again with my dear fellow, James. Hi, partner. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. good. Uh, Good. We are here today uh, in our continued exploration of curiosity with um, Dr. Suzanne
2: Martin. Suzanne, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you. I really appreciate your asking me to be on the program. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well,
1: I'm thrilled. I'm uh, even more excited than I was originally after diving into some of the material from your new book. Um, You and I spoke uh, many years ago when I first started (laughs) Skillful Teaching, and you um, were so gracious to have a, a wonderful conversation with me about your work and your perspective, and I've been thinking a lot about that, and I'm excited to touch on some of those original topics and, and see how they've really blossomed in your in the work that you're doing now. So, um, yay, welcome. Um, Thank you. Well, one of the things... Uh, So I'll just introduce you a tiny bit, and then I'm going to actually let you talk a bit about your work and how you got into doing what you're doing. But we always have our uh, guests fill out a questionnaire, which just gives James and I a place to start from and and to get to know them a little bit better. And um, I thought forever in my head now, uh, Suzanne, you're going to be known as the Scolio Doc. because. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's what you said your superhero name would be, which I thought was really awesome. So you're going to be the scolio doc from now on. Um, you are the founder of Pilates Therapeutics, and you are a physical therapist by training and practice. And um, what's really exciting right now for you, I imagine, is your new book called Spinal Asymmetry and Scoliosis, Movement and Function Solutions for the Spine, Ribcage, and Pelvis. So we're going to be talking a bit about that because I think a lot of the content in your perspective um, is an important piece of this conversation that James and I have been having between ourselves and in the podcast and amongst other teachers um, about how we bring curiosity and exploration uh, to uh, something that really also needs to be um, in certain circumstances and, and to a degree in all circumstances, technical and well assessed and based in, um, a strong knowledge of the body, obviously. So, but let's start with, um, just give us a little bit uh, of the background. Let's, let's let our audience get to know you a little bit. How did you get started on your
2: path to movement? Well, you know, how to get that—that's a good one. <clears throat> Is uh, you know, I, I've been a mover since I was about eight years old when I first started tap lessons at my at my little elementary school, um, and I uh, actually didn't like it very much, and so I stopped. And uh, <laughs> so then, uh, Linda down the street was going to a dance school, and um, she asked my mother if you know I'd like to go, and. So then I I started there, and I would call it a Dolly Dinkle studio, which means that they, you know, it was non-professional, but it was a combination of tap and um, jazz, and kind of, uh, they were really kind of ex And then when I was about 12, they said, oh, you know, you need to start going to ballet classes. And so they actually took me to another place, and, you know, I got started in ballet, ballet, and they put me on point. And uh, and um, so, I mean, so I've been attracted to that, but I was also started off in painting, too. When I was a teenager, I was really uh, drawn to that. So I had both of those loves together. And so, um, but I was always really curious about things. I would uh, walk around the yard and really study the leaves and w- with her, uh, we had a summer home that we went to a lot, uh, really more than summer, um, on weekends, and just exploring nature in the world. And it was really fascinated on how like insects moved and um, trees were put together and the organization of things. And I know that you're what you're talking about with your particular podcast is curiosity, and I think that's that's what it is. Is that uh, that curiosity is is the foundation of both art and science. And so that's why I like to say that my work blends art and science because uh, I do believe in the the beauty of structure of things and how things work. And so I started out from an early age just uh, loving the feeling of movement, and I spent a lot of time on swings. For some reason, I loved the motion of swings and Mm -hmm. uh, spent most of my childhood on a swing. And (laughs) in any place I could find it, in my backyard, and even when I moved away from there, as as like a young adult, I would find swings and just swing. So I love a lot of kinetic motion that combines it with dance. I didn't realize I wanted to go into dance until I, I saw a proper ballet, which was um, not until I went to Europe when I was, um, after my father died, when I was about 17. And so even though I had participated in Dolly Dinkle kind of reviews, I mean, I was just completely awestruck. And on that same trip, I was also uh, exposed to like Monet, Monet's uh, water release in a museum, and I almost got left behind because I was so mesmerized that I actually uh, forgot where I was so when I went to college yeah when I went to college I actually majored in both um, dance and fine arts I have a degree in printmaking as well as uh, as well as modern dance so Mm. yeah so I've loved both uh, both the visual arts as well as the uh, moving arts for a long time And, uh, you know, so, yes, I'm a trained physical therapist, but I was a dance teacher, and then I decided that I wanted to go into further education. I was really interested in dance medicine because we call Pilates dance medicine in in the 80s, you know, really, where I um, started at the St. Francis. And so... uh, I realized that I wanted to to have what um, Dr. Garrett called it this, at the time a green card. I wanted to have license to go farther and mm. uh, and to investigate because uh, I started having spasms I was actually. Uh, I, I fell in a performance when I was at Mills College. I came out to California and I was at Mills College during this performance, and I jumped really high during one of the like a mock fight scene with my partner. He pulled me down fast and I didn't get my feet underneath me, and I bounced off my rear end. And I thought it was pretty funny, you know. I'm young and strong, and I'm ha ha ha. And everyone, I get off. Everybody saying, "Oh my God, are you all right?" And so then it took a while for the spasms to start in. And so then what my teachers did was they actually sent me to this funny old lady in the Berkeley Hills um, called Dr. Muriel Chapman, who is actually rather legendary. And so it was the first time that, you know, she put me on my side, and I actually felt my internal organs swirling around. And so I had absolutely no idea what was going on. But uh, she made me better, um, little by little. And so, you know, she wasn't very forthcoming about being very helpful, but you know, I got, I got stronger, you know, I learned how to become uh, more conditioned. And so those general uh, kind of symptoms went away. I got more into the fitness world and I got stronger, but I would get injuries or I'd be doing some sort of repetitive motion kind of thing. And they'd say, you know, your, your pants have literally turned around the other way. Like why are you twisting? Somebody would come Mm -hmm. up to the belly bar and say, stand up straight. And it's like, Really? You know, I am standing up straight. And so it took me a while to figure out that something was different about me, but it wasn't until I actually went into Pilates. Elizabeth Markham, um invited me to join the staff at the St. Francis when they were first starting out. And when Michelle Larson came and was doing a training, it wasn't until she started to explain what scoliosis was, I realized that I had scoliosis. Mm-hmm. So that's actually how my journey began with spinal asymmetry. Um, mm-hmm. It was a long time ago, and that's kind of a long-winded answer. But that's how I, I began it. But then, part of my reason for wanting to go further past Pilates was because I knew I needed more. I needed more answers. Is what I'm trying to say is that I got stronger through Pilates, but still would get uh, hip tendinitis, um, you know, different uh, plantar fasciitis, you know, these kind of one-sided things. And you're just thinking, well, is this just typical dance injuries? But it mm-hmm. always seemed to manifest with these kind of odd. So the symptoms, I go to doctors, and I was also hypermobile in my spine, so they were like, are you too flexible? We don't see anything wrong, and, of course, you're never having any problems when you go there. So I started seeking out more and more complementary kind of care um, and got more results from that. So when I went to physical therapy school, a lot of the blanks were filled in, but by that time I actually had my Pilates practice going. And so I started uh, my Pilates studio in my home in 1991, and then I got my physical therapy degree, the first one, in 1998. And then I got a doctorate in, like, 2004, something like that. But as soon as I got my PT thing, I, you know, was, I was doing all kinds of investigation, high hip, low hip. I was doing presentations to make myself figure it out because I thought I just had a pelvic obliquity, but, but didn't understand the whole idea of, of scoliosis. So I just tried to study more and more and more about it. So as I got more involved with it, though, I began to do more presentations, more workshops, and then I started giving uh, what I call specialization programs uh, through my studio at my house here. And there, you know, it was like a seminar, really, people coming really from all around the world and contributing uh, to just what my study was like. And so then as Uh, SOSORT, which is the Society on Scoliosis Orthopedic Rehabilitation and Treatment, started in Europe, and the Scoliosis Foundation became more prominent. And just with the Internet, more availability for uh, international exchange, I began to study more and more to see what these other people were, were talking about. Of course, I got uh, exposed to the Schroth technique. I unfortunately had a bad experience with it. I do completely honor its, um, its principles, and I think it has a lot of very good value to it. But then um, there's also many other uh, physical therapy uh, types of treatments for scoliosis. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I'm an athlete. I'm a dancer. And so I wanted to uh, to stay within our movement Pilates paradigm of using the whole body. And not only that, I wanted to help people who are like me that didn't have somebody to help them when they were in crisis and to know that they didn't have to stay just in corrective exercises but could bring it all the way into their full athleticism. So mm-hmm. I started with uh, putting all that material together. And, um, and I'm, am I going on too long about this? Is that uh, – yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is that uh, it started to become more and more distilled, let's put it that way. And so when I put it out to the community, the prize community, that I was going to do a self-published book, I did get some funding to start the research and to produce that together. And so once I had a body of work, I realized I said this is crazy to not pitch it to somebody because by then I had three published books with a company called Dorling Kindersley, and I kept trying to pitch the scoliosis thing to them, but they kept telling me, Suzanne, we don't do diagnoses. Um, you know, we don't want to do this kind of thing. We want to do a general fitness book. So that's why I was going to self-publish. But then I had so much together. I had a couple of PTs that peer reviewed the material. A number of people had contributed a whole lot to the uh, through my private um, through the specialization programs during the summer. Because um, I've done about eight years of those now. And so then I said, let me just try to pitch it to a publisher. And so then again, not too many people want to publish things on Pilates. And uh, so besides fitness. And um, so then I, one morning when I was in London, I was uh, presenting with Elizabeth Larkham at Body Control. I'm, I'm whining to Elizabeth saying, you know, I've been trying to pitch this book, and I even pitched it to Elsevier, and they just said, like, we just don't do this kind of thing. And so she pulls out her phone and, and just texts to somebody and says, you know, Serena, please meet Suzanne. So this is how I, I met the people from Handspring. Hmm. And so, of course, it didn't stop there. I had to do a proposal, and then, believe it or not, my proposal was sent around the world to get peer-reviewed by body workers, physical therapists, Pilates instructors, and then they decided that it was okay that I would go ahead and actually produce a book, So it was quite an adventure, Um, and then I was trying to do something kind of stupid, which is I wanted to have it be readable for people who actually have the problem because they're the ones who need it. I'm from the Pilates world. I want movement educators to, to have an idea of like how to use this with movement education and not just in physical therapy and yet I'm a physical therapist. So I wanted this to also be something that physical therapists could use. And so they said, Suzanne, we're gonna pick a target audience and it's gotta be Pilates instructors. And I thought, well that makes sense. So then that was a, a challenge too, because then, you know, the idea is that who what is going to put you to sleep more than a scientific journal? And <laughs> so then, <laughs> It's it's a lot easier to write. I hate to say it. Forgive me. And you know, and actually, I greatly admire all of um, the people who contribute to scientific journals, and I've done it myself with scholarly writing. But uh, it's um, in some ways a lot easier to write something straightforward like that with a formula than to write something that's more accessible. So, mm-hmm. I actually inve- investigated how to write accessibility. So. Um, I tried to do that. And then, unprovoked, I, uh, well, I did invite several people to do forwards. And one person who, was a, who wrote forward is this really wonderful yoga scholar, Richard Rosen, and I happen to know, and he did a review of my first stretching book years ago. And I remember Richard always said, If you ever have another book, I'll review it. And I was like, Oh boy, I'm pulling out all the stops. Dear Richard, will you please write a forward for this book? And look, here's the content. You mind looking it over? So he wrote that he was worried because he's a big Iyengar scholar and he's written like the history of yoga, unbelievable amounts of stuff. And he's very well known in the yoga world. And he said at first he was worried about the content because even though Iyengar is known for its uh, rehabilitation concepts and usability for that, that he would be lost. And he said that I managed that I, that I pulled it along and that I managed to write it in accessible ways. I was like thrilled that somebody said that they could actually read what I wrote <laughs> so, that's what, so it's super super happy because that's the whole idea it's not gonna do anybody any good if they can't read it mm. <laughs> So here I am. So it's finally come through, and uh, you know it had a ridiculous amount of editing. Uh, Madeline Black also wrote a foreword, and she really helped me out too in the beginning because I thought, well, let me just interview all these Pilates instructors. Oh, so there's so many people in Pilates who have contributed to the world of scoliosis. Let me let me start interviewing some of them. And she's like, we don't want to hear what they say. We want to hear what you think, you know. And that's true. So I. So I really uh, tried my hardest to make as much information as I could because I want to try to equip Pilates instructors because I feel feel that and it's my passion that we fill a real we fill a real gap between medical care and then what people need and that having experienced it myself because I'm really much more on the well-being spectrum of um, a physical therapy because I deal with people who want lifetime functional movement rather than just getting a quick corrective um, to, you know, one or two correctives, get rid of the symptoms, and boom, that's it. It's like, no, we want to equip you for life and to try to educate you as a movement. We're movement educators and not just um, people that will put a Band-Aid on something or get rid of the symptoms in three weeks and then think that things aren't going to change in six weeks. So um, I felt like Pilates Instructors are the ones for people who have these conditions, you know, like me, because, I mean, this isn't something that goes away. You know, I can control it. I can manage it. And I can make it the best it can be. But the fact is, is that even though I'm not in the probably severe range, uh, is that I know that I have to manage this for life or I'm going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to help other people to find that that comfort. And control back in their lives, and to uh, to just contribute to our body of knowledge. And I know that Pilates instructors are the people to do it, and um, so I feel confident about that. Yeah, yeah.
1: There,
2: there are so many
1: things um, uh, about this uh, book and what you've written um, about it, and your just your inspirations um, that I think are fascinating, and I'm curious to know um, how how they play out for you. There is something that you wrote about your own journey with healing um, and how, you know, medicine was not it was not doing it for you. And so this, this yeah. physical journey led you to, um, you know, what you've already described as kind of a striving for filling the gaps of knowledge and information. Um, you wrote, to show others that life can be perfect in its imperfections. And I think that's, that's a beautiful sentiment, particularly when we're talking about something that's, that, that's you know, highly technical, um, you know, based on anatomy and understanding pathologies and biomechanics and, and all of these things and being able to make very strong and um, accurate as much as we can physical assessments, but that the intent is, to um, not make things perfect but to bring harmony into a system that is potentially imperfect And I think there's so much beauty in holding that um, idea while also holding this very highly technical thing um, you quoted uh, a, a Israeli American violinist um, named you have to help me with the pronunciation. Um, is it, it's, it's
2: Perlman. Yeah. It's or just like a Z. Yeah. It's Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So it's like an S T H or, you know, it's Perlman. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, like an incredible amount of music comes from him, even though, you know, he's basically disabled. Uh, and, and the thing is, is that I do believe that there's a beauty in imperfection. Nature is imperfect. And so, uh, I, I do feel that there's a, a good chance that we can that our functional aspect can help to take over a lot of our structural imperfections, and I definitely believe that we need medicine and pull out all the stops. You know, if if I have a, a dire um, infection, you, you can bet that I'm definitely going to take an antibiotic if I really need it. Um, but but the thing is, is that there's a lot of us that that medicine can't help. You know, um, that there are conditions that. Don't need surgery. <laughs> These conditions that are not going to need an injection. You know, there are something like that. And so, what I boil it down to is uh, is really lifestyle medicine. Is to use our movement as medicine, which is not a new idea, but the way that I've tried to distill those ideas, too, is to break it down into um, that movement. It goes from somatic to corrective to conditioning, and I believe in the somatic section where we are able to do that in Pilates, that we can bring that, when we're bringing our imagery to people and that we're helping them to find the anatomic connections, um, then they can use that to come to terms with their imperfections. And then that way they don't get stuck just in the correctives. Because when sometimes when um, I I find that some of the traditional um, kind of therapy methods can get stuck in just the correctives, but the correctives aren't enough if a person doesn't understand what they're truly doing with it Um, and making some peace with it during the correctives. And, and then that way, once you have that under control, then you can go on to full conditioning, which, which I interpret not just, um, not just doing weight training, but to do full body exercise. And that's what Pilates is, is to bring it all the way into whole body exercise. And one of my little soapboxes is that, um, you know, that, we should engage the entire body. So in the book, I give a framework for working things on both sides of the body because it's been traditionally in therapeutic circles or in some circles to say, well, if you have this imbalance, you only do this thing to one direction and never do it to the other direction. If you, um, if you have this one problem, you only go this way and never go the other way. You know, yes, we all need to learn correct body mechanics and protect ourselves in our exercising that we need, but function happens multiplanar and lots of directions so we're trying to make the body as strong as we can in all directions and Pilates is known for that and mm-hmm. to then that helps us to give a gateway into functional life where you know just in order to drive I have to be able to work my leg plus I have to be able to sit high in the seat plus I have to be able to have some rotational mm-hmm. ability you know so those things go together mm-hmm. Or if I'm going to hold a child or hold an infant that's that's kind of an unwieldy sort of a load of weight, I have to be able to know how to manage myself and feel my internal um, kinds of uh, holdings around the weight that I'm grappling with that's shifting all the time.
3: And now a word from our sponsors. I know that's just so goofy, but I, I can't help myself. Well, I hope you're enjoying this new format as we share with you some really cool things that we're passionate about and deeply involved in, our quote unquote sponsors. They are real sponsors, but we also have a deep invested interest in the success of these two particular events. And so I'm really excited to tell you about some things regarding Momentum Fest. This week is an exciting moment because we've got a contest going on for Momentum Fest. So let me back up for a second and just let you know that Momentum Fest is a Pilates and movement festival for teachers and for students and mostly just for humans, people who like to move and want to be in community with other people who like to move. And smile and just have an amazing time while doing it. First of all, Momentum Fest is happening near Denver, Colorado, actually, kind of smack dab between Denver and Boulder, Colorado, in the city called Westminster. And it's being held June 21st through 23rd this coming summer at a wonderful resort and the West in Westminster. And we've got movement teachers from all over the country coming to entertain you and also guide you and support you in moving and exploring. So bring your mom, bring your sister, bring your brother, bring your husband, bring your kids. I brought my kids last year. If you haven't heard this story, we went on a van life camping trip from California to Colorado last year for the inaugural event but in any case, what's happening this week, and I know we're already partway through, but Momentum Fest is sponsoring a contest, an Instagram contest. It's an opportunity to win a free three day pass to the festival. So we're past Monday, which is uh, the theme was exploration. We're past Tuesday, the theme is fun. On Wednesday, the theme is connection. And if you're listening on Thursday, the theme is strength, and Friday, celebration. And you'll see myself and James and Anula and Trina and Jenna and lots of the other teachers posting, um, encouraging you to post along with us. And basically just sharing something that inspires you based on this particular theme. So get on Instagram, check it out. You're going to want to search for hashtags Momentum Fest 2019 And, um, see what you can find. And if you're interested in winning a free three day pass, this is a wonderful way to not only connect, but have a bit of fun and, uh, get yourself potentially on board for a free pass to the festival. There's something else that I actually just discovered kind of by accident about Momentum Fest, which is that they're giving scholarships, which is super cool, Super cool and very much in the spirit of what the festival is all about. And let me tell you a little bit more about that. So this scholarship program is very cool. It is an application process and applications are due March 15th. So you've got about a month to fill it out, invite others to fill it out. You're going to get a three-day ticket to the event. Entry to the shift happens uh, event, which is one of our, the post conference workshops being held on the 24th, and that's James and Anula, which is super cool. If you do fill out an application, you're going to be notified by March 31st as to whether or not you have been selected as a recipient. And just as a side note, you get a three day pass and access to this special post conference event, but you are responsible for your own travel expenses. Probably you figured that out or you guessed that, but just wanted to be super clear. So, lots of awesome things going on for Momentum Fest. Check them all out at momentumfest.com and consider clearing a few days this summer to join James and I and some other really amazing, sweet, heartfelt, soulful teachers and a really wonderful community of movers, whether you're a teacher or a student or a kid, or a grandma, or whatever, or all of the things, come and hang out with us. Some other exciting news, and now I really feel like a newscaster, or BBC reporter, but we have been talking to you about the Science and Psychology of Teaching Masters program, which is a collaborative curriculum designed by myself and my colleague, Ann Bishop, founder of Body Brain Connect, We start our third cohort in just a few days, February 18th. That's coming up on Monday, but we have also decided to run a second cohort this summer. Actually, we'll be starting the spring, May 13th, right after Mother's Day, and that's a big deal for us, so we're excited to be able to offer the program twice in one year, It just means more opportunity for us to share this really rich and immersive curriculum with you and gives all of you a little bit more time to consider if this program is something that might make a big shift in the way that you are doing your work. It's all super awesome. Let me give you a little bit of the down low on this program. The program focuses on brain science, motivational science, something called motivational interviewing, which is a framework for interacting and inducing intrinsic motivation in students. And it's based on humanistic psychology. It's a very cool, very cool approach that we have adapted and applied to teaching and guiding movement. The program also dives very deep into working with the vagus nerve and the polyvagal theory as it applies to resistance and trauma, working with fear, working with developing more conscious awareness of how we are interacting with our internal and external environments and how that's affecting our ability to learn and to translate information into the body, as well as how it affects our ability to listen to the body. There's this really cool concept, which was developed by Stephen Porges, who is the author of the polyvagal theory called neuroception, which is a really exciting new way of viewing how we relate to our external environments and how we sense our safety in relationship to these environments all via the vagus nerve. And then we look at how that affects our ability to move, to listen, to take cues, um, and to really access our deepest potential in the body through movement. The program is a five-month online immersive program, and it's set up on a very intuitive online platform called Rizuku. Ann and I both have had years and years of um, guiding and creating curriculum online, and so it has this wonderful flow. We do something really cool in the program, which is... You read and watch, and we discuss lots of new material, and then with each module, you have an opportunity to immediately integrate the information. So with each module, in which there are seven, you have integration assignments, and this is where the meat of the work really is done and where you're able to cultivate a strong sense of how to implement the information and the material specifically to your teaching environment, no matter what that looks like. The other really cool thing about the program is that it is a project-based program, which means you can come in with some vague idea or some very specific idea of a project or a curriculum or a program or something that you want to create, something that you want to investigate more deeply. It could be creating a case study. It can be developing a workshop. It can be creating an entirely new Model for your business, which we've had teachers do, and that is really an exciting process to be involved in. Anne and I guide you through the project development as a parallel line with the learning of new content and the integration. Finally, at the end of the program, you'll come to Sonoma County in Northern California, wine country, and you'll be with Anne and I and the other teachers in your cohort for a wonderful and rich four day event. That event, if you happen to be ready to jump on board for February, will happen at the end of June. And if you are waiting until May or you're interested in exploring that option, that live event will happen in late September. So without further ado, you can check out all of the information on PilatesMastersProgram.com. You can sign up to get a sample syllabus. You can sign up to get on a phone call with Ann and I, or either of us to answer your questions and discuss the program at greater length. And that website again is PilatesMastersProgram.com. That is a delightfully long and hopefully interesting commercial break, but without wasting any more of your precious sweet time, let's get back to the interview with Suzanne Martin.
1: I want to circle back real quick and I'm sure James, you're percolating on some things too for Suzanne. The quote that you shared from, um, Perlman was he had been giving a concert and one of his violin strings broke and he played for a full six minutes this way without, you know, without like just masterfully. And the quote, he, um, he said, this has been my vocation, my lifelong mission to make music out of what remains. And, I mean, I just think that um, it, it's pretty phenomenal. And your your parallel was that that was your mission in working with asymmetries no matter from what situation. And I feel like that's, that's what I hear you talking about, right? That there is a, a a formula, a format to follow, and yet our objective is to bring the body into functional harmony. Um
2: Yes, and, I, and the thing is, is that it, it, that circles back to the theme of curiosity, because you know, I believe that we um, have the time in Pilates to take time with the client, and the, cl- and the client can take time if they if they wish to go into that, and mm-hmm. that they have to be curious about themselves internally. And sometimes you do need a guide, just like any child who goes into um, into some kind of therapy or in school, is that. We help people to find a language to match up with their feeling inside, and help to be the witness and to help to mirror them and to help them to see if, if you know, so they can bounce it back and forth to us. If this is what they're feeling and saying, oh well, this is, uh, you know, this is something that I feel in my body and that you can probably feel it there, too. I mean, one of the things that I do is I, I have people touch my back and say, look, you're using your erectors too much, and the multifidae are not working. Look when, what happens when I do this and hold this posture with my head forward, and you can see how the erectors pop out. See how when I bring my head back over my center of gravity, then it's a lot smoother, and my multifidae are now working in connection with my erectors. And then, and then they start to see the light of, like, why you would want to do that, you see, and um, so, but they have to have some internal exploration to start to find those things, and, and we help to guide them into that. To be curious about their internal workings, so that when things are not working perfectly, that um, okay, there's going to be some parts of my scoliosis where there's some parts that are just not going to kick in very well. That is true. Well, in the book, I actually show some neurological tricks. One is um, of using the non-dominant eye to help to engage things from a vestibular and neurological direction that can start to turn on some of those muscles during our exercises. And, of course, you can't walk around with an eye patch on all the time, but um, it helps to just get them to re-engage and to get them to re-excite again so that there is a little bit more Symmetry going on, and that even if I am missing that extra string, I can still play music around it because there's a, there's a lot of other things to help me. The body is ridiculously redundant, so that's one reason why we have so many compensations. but the thing is is that you are going to be compensating with um an asymmetrical spine, but you're trying to minimize it as much as you can, and mm-hmm. uh, we can um we can make. You know, beautiful functional music with what we do have. hmm hmm
0: So I think one of the um, I've had the privilege of witnessing some of your work when we co-taught or oh, really? when we co-teach. When we both taught, we, yeah, we were both at the McIntyre
2: Summit. When we were teaching. Oh, 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 and, right, right, right.
0: And uh, so I've 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 seen some of it, and I think one of the really nice things when we are talking about something like. Um, an anatomical deviation, um, you know, scoliosis or the like, is that the labels that get put on it are oftentimes that of, um, inadequate or broken or imperfect or whatever it is. And the quote that Chantal, uh, what I wanted to really dive into was that exact same quote because it sort of brings up this idea of kinesiologic diversity and, um, celebrating. Celebrating and sort of exploring how individual and unique bodies can move well or can move um, in an, uh, what what word am I looking for? Can move in a harmonious, um, well feeling sort of way, uh, away from this label of correction or a way of going like, well, this is as good as it's going to get for you. And I think that, um, A, it's a beautiful way to work, but it also invites other Pilates instructors and the people dealing with scoliosis and asymmetries to feel like they can, they can approach the work. The work isn't, um, if you, if you don't do it right, you're doing it wrong. It's, yeah. there's a curiosity aspect to it, um, that I can appreciate. And I think probably why, you know, you're, you're an expert in this field.
2: Wow. yeah, I do believe this individualization is our, you know, body fingerprint, our movement fingerprint. And mm-hmm. this is kind of an odd, <laughs> Isaac like fact, was a little bit more conservative, but um, Keith Richards is another one that comes to mind. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> not... Yeah, is that uh-huh. apparently what happened to him, you know, what made his sound so unique was, uh, <laughs> was that, you know, he's a well-known addict, right? Uh-huh. he had such high connections that um, he got very pharmaceutically clean drugs. And the fact that he was so stoned out on these um, drugs made him have a unique sound that made him the artist that he was. Forgive me uh-huh. for saying this, but he actually admits this in his book. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe he has hypothesis about his talent. But I do believe that is something that's a difference maker, you know, and that's something that, uh, and and, and frankly, I'm just so jazzed that the whole Pilates field has grown so much and I see so many um, instructors that are passionate, you know, the ones that do want to work um, one-on-one with people or in classes with special populations um, and it's not that you have to be uh, do just any of either of those things, but I think that those people are more curious about this individuation of people mm-hmm. and um and I do believe that it is something that you've given people the greatest gift because I'd tell you, a lot of people feel like they're damaged goods,
0: yeah, and, exactly,
2: yeah, and exactly. Myself included, so, you know, it's like, okay. You know, it wasn't blonde. It wasn't tall enough. <laughs> like, um, right, and so it only puts you at a deficit
0: to even approach. You know, working with bodies, working with your own bodies, self exploration. When you, you know, when the label is you're not even baseline yet. Like, how am I supposed right. to get better when I'm not even right. I'm not even at neutral yet? Right. Um, okay. So aside from, aside from you know buying and buying your amazing book and spending some time with you. What are some things you'd like Pilates instructors to begin to understand about working with scoliosis or working with um, deviations of the spine or pelvis or ribs?
2: Well, you know, what we're talking about point blank is that one of the things that I think is there's a trend right now in, like, the scoliosis study of, you know, for teachers and therapists is to put everyone into a two, three, four curve that. Mm-hmm. Of course, you have to start somewhere, and you do have to start with imitation, but I think it makes things a little too narrow um, mm-hmm. that because people are so outrageously um, different and um, present. And I think you can start with just kind of a global look of, uh, of what that is, but again, I prefer to look at it from top to toe so that you can see somebody's, um, somebody's actually fingerprint. And the thing is, is that, for polite instructors to feel confident to look at the whole body and not to get so hyper-worried about just the scoliosis curve. Hmm. And sometimes, you know, you don't have to take the whole thing and instantly figure out how to smash it to the center um, to make you look like somebody else immediately. And it's not that we aren't trying to find elongation and centralization. Of course we are. But um, well, one of the research shows that elongation by itself doesn't work. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is why you can start to whittle away at it from a lot of different points, you know, from like leg length difference, just how the feet are on the bar, um, all the things that Pilates instructors already do. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing that's you know that I think a lot of Pilates instructors don't realize they already have a lot to start with. But uh, I'm hoping that the book, though, that it gives them also a scientific background so they feel equipped. So the idea of the book was actually mostly to equip people hmm. so that they feel like they have a reference book that they can go to and look at what's um, really happening. Because I pulled out the stops in terms of asking for permissions from on this really nice osteopath um, that's uh, Ross Pope in. Uh, in Oklahoma City, was really nice enough to help to let me use a number of his uh, illustrations and teachings about laterality in the womb and compensatory patterns um just you know uh that you know a big physician, Dr. Lenke from New York let me use his classification systems, and you know there's a lot of people scientists like uh There's a a professor from Vermont, uh, Ian Stokes, and so we know a lot about the physiology and how uh, it starts to develop in the body so that that Mm. instructors can be equipped with the scientific knowledge, but at the same time, there's enough in the book, too, to tell them how to begin and to be safe to begin with and that they're already using a lot of their knowledge, and a lot of it has to do with approach the whole body. Don't just look at one thing, and, and, you know, forgive me for saying this, don't do things only to one direction. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: Thank thank goodness to you for saying it.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm getting in a lot of trouble because of it, let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's funny because James and I have been having – we have this really interesting kind of mythological conversation always going on because we work in this <laughs> in this <laughs> magical, maybe not mythological, but in the same space together. We're we're like we're talking to our individual students, uh, but we're talking to each other, like almost through the space. And it's so interesting uh-huh. that we, at the end of the you know our our days together, like oh that thing that thing you were talking about, or even in the midst of talking about a thing, it's like that right there, that's it. Write that down. You know, we have like, yeah. and I have, things, and Jane has his notebook open. And um, uh-huh. one of the things that's been really uh, kind of rising to the surface for us in that is just this idea of, you know, what is the, ba- the um, value in forcing symmetry? And and, and is there a different way to look at harmonizing the body through um, a whole integrated movement, which doesn't look like isolating only one side to do one thing and um, or forcing it to be or look or feel like the other thing. And so I think for me, I, I really appreciate this idea of, you know, it doesn't have to – we don't have to follow this kind of um, – Familiar and very comfortable paradigm of of what we've been taught about working with asymmetry to make it symmetrical. It's like, what if the intention was something different, right? Was to make the entire system more useful or more harmonious, or to find ways to integrate? And I think that's why the Perlman quote stood out to me so much. Um, and then just your own, you know, your own thoughts about being like feeling that there can be a sense of wholeness, even in imperfection. Um, and and also like when talking about the book, there were a couple of things, Suzanne, that stood out to me in terms of the language you were using. And I wonder if you might speak to this a bit, which is um, you talk about the three E strategy, which is ergonomics, mm-hmm. exercise, and emotion. And then you talk about Movement acquisition strategy for teaching imagine, think and feel um, and then the stages of exercise somatic corrective, and conditioning and it's so it's so nice for me I feel um, excited about the words emotion and imagine and feeling and somatic because I do think think what is intimidating for a lot Uh, teachers and and also people with scoliosis, myself included, is that it can feel um, overly demonizing and you can feel like you need to be fixed and you need to be corrected. But what I see in the language that you're using is that potentially there's this other path to understanding your movement potential.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I did try to break it down to uh, to, to some simple um, ideas so that so that there's something to hold on to. With uh, definitely, uh, that there's movement acquisition is imagine, think, and feel. Because a lot of people, of course, they're not going to feel the things we're trying to feel that we're trying to teach them to begin with. And especially if they've been told, no, you've been you've been doing it wrong all this way, or or there's no way that they can get central. I mean, really. But even just mm-hmm. to start to imagine it, and I do believe that that's a gateway. Into, into then, again, more physicality that you don't know that you have. Uh, and also, the, and the neurology. I mean, we all have done Feldenkrais classes where suddenly we are moving more than what we thought we did before, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And Pilates definitely has the potential for this. But one of the reasons why I'm really crazy about Pilates, too, is that it really can help to break up the fascia, to loosen up the fascia that that then... Uh, Perpetuates itself. So, because if you perpetuate a position for a long time, the fascia basically um, forms in that position or tightens in that position. And then uh, Pilates helps to give you the ability by going through heat, really pre production and the the rhythmic repetition a lot of time, um, to allow that to to begin to change and then to see some, to, uh, to feel more movement potential and to feel more whole. Uh, and with the emotion, too, we know that rhythmic movement helps people to get more of their serotonin going, that uh, we know that to be scientifically true. And so that's why I believe that, that there has to be a movement aspect to things that, we, that we're that we not, uh, that, yes, we need to go through the basics, we need to go through foundations, we need to go through stabilization and all of those things, but we also need to get people just moving as well. And so to break it down that simply and then ergonomics, exercise and emotion, definitely that, that we have to be the ones to help people to, you know, this is a better way to sleep. This is, uh, you know, I, I, uh, manufactured some wedges that these wedges can help you sit. And if we use these wedges in, uh, just in certain ways with our, on, um, on our equipment or on the mat, gee whiz, I can access, uh, more, more muscles and more sensation uh, in order to make movement more full. And also in ergonomics too, it can, it can be things about just how I'm holding myself, I call it body skills. i uh, trying to get the head over center gravity without forcing centralization, but symmetry is just practical in a lot of ways um, and helps to expand your outside ceramics as well as your um, internal space as well. And then the emotion component of it is that lots of times people are, do suffer. I mean, studies do show that with scoliosis, that most of the time people do feel like they're different, um, especially when you develop it in adolescence. And uh, so it helps people to, to find another way. And we do that a lot through breathing um, to help that part. So mm-hmm. there's just lots of ways to access feeling more whole. And you know, that's the goal of life is to come to terms with things, to be peace peaceful with ourselves and to go beyond that, but to actually enjoy ourselves. Mm. So I think that's a per- world peace. Okay. <laughs> right.
1: And and there we have it. Voila. Um I think that's <laughs> a, <laughs> a perfect moment. I have a final question for you, which is if you could Invite the um, the teachers and the and the folks that are listening to get curious about one thing in relationship to um, their spines or to scoliosis if that happens to be their um, you know something that they are experiencing like what 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 would you want them to really get curious about
2: you know what I want them to get curious about is well. You know, one of the things that is always easy, because we, we need a landmark sometimes. Again, you know, we're no different than regular people. We need sometimes imagine, think, and feel kind of things. is that just a lot of our, our work on the floor, just getting uh, on the actual studio floor without a mat, and to feel what bony parts you do feel against the floor, um, and getting honest with ourselves, you know, what is sticking into the floor, feeling uncomfortable, and then really trying to explore. Now, we know more of anatomy than what people, um, general population knows, our clients know, and then to to say, well, what is it about that? What is uncomfortable about that feeling Uh, that then I can start to explore a little bit more? And, you know, with imprinting... um, how many of us really do the what I think was the original intent of imprinting is to go all the way down the spine, starting from the top of the cervical spine, trying to imprint each vertebra down individually. And that's what I learned from Eve Gentry years ago was that you could try to imprint each vertebra, you know, just kind of press it down and then release it and go down each one of them and see how one feels stuck or unstuck. Um, and then that to me is, a, is an exploration into it. And usually I do some deep breathing with that, and actually I can make my spine unwind in bed. Mm. So not everybody knows those techniques or, you know, is, it might be frightened by it, but uh, it's, it's a magical way to start to, to make peace with the spine that is almost like its own animal. Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
1: Well, I think it's a wonderful invitation to just begin to get curious about that and, and really, add, you know, getting honest about what you are experiencing. Um,
2: yeah, I appreciate that very
1: much. Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I also you. make
2: a figure eight. I also make a figure eight with my um, with just my sacrum and to make a very small motion, and that helps me, gives me a lot of information, too, about my pelvis. Mm, yeah. Yeah.
1: Lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff. Well, thank you, Suzanne, for spending time with us and sharing um, a bit about the book, and your journey to create it. It sounds like it's going to be um, a really wonderful contribution to our community.
2: Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.